Welcome to Me and Age Daydream with B. Prime and Williams, where we're going to be making some jokes, laughing out at broken world, but also laying out some philosophy for the future, how we can fix this mess we're in and have a great time doing it all with the Me and Age Daydream. Welcome, everybody, to Me and Age Daydream. I'm, of course, Brian McWilliams, your gorgeous host. Hope everybody had a wonderful week between the last time we saw each other. Some things have happened. Interesting things have happened, of course. And I'm going to talk about them momentarily. I will say that, uh, once again, my child, homesick. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, my kid's been sick 462 days out of the 365 calendar days uh, that are available somehow. So we'll see if I get interrupted by a crying toddler. But in the meantime, guys, thanks for joining me. I uh, hope a lot of you caught comedian Shane Gillis and his return to Saturday Night Live this past weekend. Now, I have not watched Saturday Night Live in forever. I think it's pure garbage in every possible way. But as I said in the title of this here podcast, I think that we're seeing a waving of the white flag when it comes to comedy, when it comes to the left hitting a wall. Um, you're seeing that not only with the return of Shane Gillis to SNL and, and the background, by the way, if you don't know who Shane Gillis is, he's become one of the most popular comedians in America. Shane is, uh, I don't know, you find me a Philly boy like myself. I wore my my uh, North Park. I give a shout out to Pretzels and Pints in North Park, San Diego. But yeah, I got, I got my Eagles on here because I'm a Philly boy. So I appreciate the Philliness that is Shane. A lot of great Philly comics come out of there. But of course, you know, Philly comics are not that woke. You know, Philly might be a blue city, but the comic scene coming out of there is very much, you know, ball busting, blue collar. And having, you know, grown up in the Philly area myself, that is very much my sense of humor. It's not PC. So Shane Gillis had come up out of that scene and when he was not as famous, actually got in trouble because he has a podcast. I think it's called Matt and Shane's something other podcast. It's not in my regular rotation. Maybe it should be. He had done a Asian joke on there and did an impression of a stereotypical quote unquote Asian accent. Now, if you've watched any of the podcasts, we do the drinking shows where I've done my own version of that for a Kim Jong-un impression or whatever it might be. Look, doing accents is not racist. At least that's the way I feel, especially if you're doing an accent of, you know, an impersonation of a leader, as I said, a Kim Jong-un, definitely not racist, but in general, Doing accents is not racist. If people talk that way and you want to tell a joke about a, about those people, what's wrong with doing the accent? Absolutely nothing. But yet in our absolutely imbecilic cancel culture that existed, what was this? Probably three, four years ago, Shane Gillis was essentially canceled from becoming a member of Saturday Night Live, Night Live's cast. He was in line. It was announced he was going to be joining the cast. And yet... He was canceled because of this, this fucking, you know, impression he did on a podcast, an audio podcast. So fast forward a few years. We're in 2024. Shane Gills is one of the most popular comedians in America. And Saturday Night Live comes crawling back to the man that they fired because of you know, a Asian impression, an Asian voice impression. Now, he did not 
sadly, go full Norm MacDonald, which is what I would have done, which is what I wished he had done, and which is what I tuned in to watch. Because Norm MacDonald, another famously un-PC, hilarious god among comedians, Norm MacDonald was fired from Saturday Night Live because, uh, you know, he'd done Weekend Update for a long time. They said, <laughs> per Norm, that he wasn't funny. They didn't want him on the show. Now, I think it is it was a combination of his sense of humor uh, in the changing, you know, landscape. But also, I think he had gotten cursed a few times on air, right? But that was just an excuse to get rid of Norm. So they invite him back because guess what? Same thing. They fire Norm. No, Norm goes on to become one of the biggest comedians in America. He has his own show, the Norm McDonald show, which is hilarious. Maybe it's just called Norm. Uh, hilarious show, by the way. If you can find it on streaming, make sure to do that. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do a, a review for the uh, the first episode podcast, my other TV review podcast that I do every other week. Norm goes back on SNL and goes scorched earth. I mean, just making hilarious references to the fact that they fired him, essentially just telling him to eat dick. You know, I, I'm back here. Ah, yeah, this is funny. I'm tired. It's okay. I wasn't funny. And here I am back on the show. Really stuck it to them. Shane did not do that, which was disappointing. But what was interesting to see was Shane really leaned into some of that un-PC comedy that would have gotten him canceled, but that has proven to be beyond, right? This comedy now that Shane's doing is utterly un-PC. There's, I mean, honestly, there's hardly any other comedian out there that you could say is less PC. Even in his opening monologue, he goes out there and sticks it right in the faces of these leftist viewers, these leftist producers, these leftist writers that got him canceled from SNL in the first place by going into a bunch of jokes about mongoloids now <laughs> or Down syndrome people, whatever you want to call them. I think he used both both phrases. He did not use the R word, by the way, that I remember. I could be misremembering, but I don't think he said the R tarted word. But he goes on, he does a whole bit about how his relatives have Down syndrome, how he looks like he has Down syndrome, how they run a cafe for that employs people with Down syndrome that's going about as well as you can expect. It's got a line out the door, but that's because they can't make the coffees on time. So it's really leaning into a taboo that the left has tried to cancel, right? You're not allowed to talk about people that have mental issues. You're not allowed to talk about Down syndrome or R-tardids. Yet Shane's leading into that. So I think that was his way of kind of sticking it to them, saying, look, there's nothing taboo in comedy. I'm going to do my my version of what people have liked, what has been proven to be a success in the marketplace. But that's what I'm saying. This is the left admitting, crawling on their hands and knees, admitting that their version of comedy, this censored, you know, we only have one allegiance and it's to the far left progressive horse shit doesn't play. They've lost their audience. They've lost their they've lost their credit. Uh, and you know, people used to think of the left as being associated with comedy, right? Forever. They own comedy. Not anymore, man. They've lost all of the credit. All of that cachet they built up for years and years has been eroded because of this unfunny allegiance to the DNC and to woke causes that people just don't want to hear. They don't want to watch. They don't care. It's not funny. I tell, I've talked about this before. Every single time a TV show comes out that's ultra woke, it's not funny. It just, you can't, something happens. Even to funny people, when they get involved with these shows, something happens to their ability to, to tie together irreverent concepts. Because you think about the way comedy works, guys. Like, you know, I just did stand-up comedy at the, the LNC, or I'm sorry, the Libertarian Convention in California. You have to tie together disparate concepts, right? 
Like I'll tell you guys a joke I told about there. It's I was talking about how for me the infighting between the libertarians is like Highlander, right? And you know, Highlander, if you're familiar with the great film, Highlander, you defeat your opponent, you get their power, lightning hits you, ah, right? You you become a uh, so much more powerful than before. So, well, it's like Highlander, except, you know, instead of getting their energy, all that happens is that you ascend to the next level of autism on the spectrum. And yeah, you can taste colors, but you also scream during fire drills and you beat yourself in the head during sex, right? There's an example of a joke you can't tell to a leftist audience, but it's also when you think about that, I'm tying together movies, I'm tying together mythology, I'm tying together autism, I'm tying together sex. These are all concepts that you can't make jive together to create that joke if you're stopping your mental process somewhere along the way or if you're checking every single time your brain goes in a direction you have to check yourself because you go oh, well i might not be able to say that oh that might offend somebody oh there's... you can't exist comedically in that environment it doesn't work just like how government fucking regulations get in the way of business success and technological advancement and societal advancement in the same way by the way because every time you're trying to do something with your business or your society or your technology, government's getting in the way and the regulations are making you stop and check yourself and have to go back. But I digress. Shane is an example of the left saying, we've completely dug ourselves into a hole we can't get out of without you people. The people that we hated, the people that we chided, the people that we canceled, we need you back to give our brand some sort of aura of credibility some sort of draw here where people know they're not just going to be preached to with unfunny crap and shane gillis has brought that back to them now we'll see if that continues because look i watched it it was okay there were some funny bits there were some unfunny bits there was a great actually i'll give him credit a great bit about trump's shoes uh called white men can trump and, you know, guy gets magic Trump shoes and then he tries to play basketball in him and he still sucks, but he convinces everybody else that he's good, right? Because that's Trump's thing, a lot of bluster. But overall, sketches, eh, not that great. Because you still have a writing staff of far leftists that were hired not because of their talent so much as their politics, because they checked a box for the writer's room. And uh, so you're going to get what you're going to get. And I've talked at length about the fact that when you have comedy, when you have entertainment, the state of our television, the state of film and the movies coming out is in such a garbage state because people like me who are writers can't get a shake. Can't get a, You can't get read. They're not hiring you know, 75% of the eligible population because they're focused on checking the boxes and only hiring from 25%, 25% of the population. And then you divide that, right? Because it can't just be, oh, forget all the whiteies. And then we need some gay people. So forget all the other people. Then you need females. And, you know, get a, so it's just like you're, you're subsecting your talent base so severely and leaving people that have absolute talent out in the cold for no reason other than DEI, literally. But you see, not just with Shane, but also The Daily Show. Now, The Daily Show dominated on both sides. I mean, the Daily Show wasn't as popular with Democrats. The Daily Show was popular with everybody when Jon Stewart was hosting it for a long time. Because Stewart, whether this is fair or not, people associated Stewart with tearing it into both sides. And he did do that. I mean, give him credit. He had Ron Paul on, for Christ's sake. Good job. You know, and he, and he treated him with respect. Stewart would call out 
what he saw as idiocy on his, you know, from his own party, hypocrisy from his own party, as well as attacking uh, the GOP. Clearly, he's on the left, but he gave a fair shake. He was willing to open a, a dialogue. When Trevor Noah took over, it became the bash Donald Trump, utter low bar, laziest, lowest common denominator, leftist moron tripe garbage that has ever been written. The fact that people got paid to do that show makes me furious. And then they replaced him when he finally retired and went off into the sunset with his millions of undeserved dollars. Then they replaced him with a bunch of, you know, a cavalcade of other left dipshits that weren't funny, weren't talented. And they kept the same garbage writers. So what happened? The Daily Show continued to plummet. The ratings went from here at all-time high. One of the most popular shows ever in television history plummeted down to the point where you have only people that are watching to clap. They're watching to nod in agreement. It wasn't funny. So what does The Daily Show do? They crawl back to Jon Stewart because they need his credibility. I will tell you this. I'll watch The Daily Show if I know he's going to host it. I'll check it out because I enjoyed Don Stewart before, but again, this is the waving of the white flag. We're winning here. The everyday person that doesn't want to be, uh, you know, what's the name? Not, not apostle. So I've got, I'm, think, I'm blanking on the name of it, but anyway, the, the person that doesn't want to be purely converted all the time, right? That doesn't want to be preached to, that doesn't want to have, that just doesn't want to nod along to crap they agree with. That's not funny to make themselves feel good or they, you know, jerk themselves off on a couch. Those people will come back because you've got a John Stewart now. And this is the left admitting they're not funny anymore. This is the left admitting they can't exist anymore. Just like with all this nonsense garbage they're putting out in the film industry. You know, the Miss Marvel garbage, the, uh, you know, what, you know, whatever, name any number of checkmark DEI boxes, right? The girl boss movie that Madam Web that came out was so bad. The entire Star Wars, you know, everything with Marvel and Star Wars, you see the failure of these projects that nobody wants to watch them and they're not going to pay to watch them and that the product is crap. There comes a time when you hit the wall financially where I don't care what your beliefs are. I don't care what message you're trying to send. I don't care what BlackRock and Vanguard are threatening behind the scenes to make you do this ESG, DEI you know, nonsense. There comes a point where you just can't exist anymore because the bottom line is you're losing money hand over fist. The, the entertainment industry has hit that point. Like we're, like I said, we're winning here. I, I, 2024, I believe is going to be a fantastic year. I believe is a year that everything starts to turn around, normalize and hopefully goes past that point of normalization to the point of, you know, five years ago and to the point where we can actually retake a culture and start to make cultural inroads to people to get back freedom, to get back freedom of speech, free markets dialogue between people to break the shackles that have been put on us with this control of information flow. And you're seeing that starting in comedy because comedy is one of the first places that these things happen. It has to happen there. Comedy's purpose is to call out differences in power, to call out absurdities, to call it hypocrisies. And they tried to take that away from us. And you know what? Everybody gave him a big fuck you. And now these people come groveling back. God bless it, man. You got to love it. One thing I did think was interesting, by the way, a couple of quick jokes. Uh, Kurt Metzger, who's very funny. Kurt Metzger is an interesting character because Kurt Metzger is uh, co-host of Jimmy Dore's show. 
which I, I don't really watch Jimmy Dore that often. I didn't even realize Kurt Metzger was a co-host on his show. But Kurt Metzger was fascinating because he was a writer that was well, you know, hired in the industry, big credits. He wrote for Amy Schumer's show. And then Kurt Metzger, of course, kind of kind of got canceled a little bit fired because he's also un-PC, you know, uh, just a funny guy. But he thought that Jon Stewart had uh, basically done a few jokes that were decent and then you know, kind of sold out with, with lame Trump jokes. Now, John Stewart got a lot of pushback and I'm going to play a clip that from the last daily show, John Stewart got a lot of pushback from the left. Cause the left still, by the way, the average diehard leftist still has no sense of humor and they can't take a joke and they've abandoned again. That's why they lost their grip on comedy. They can't take any criticism at all, at all. It has to be, you are in line with us, you're for us, or you're against us. So Jon Stewart had basically called out the fact that Biden is a mental incompetent, that he's so old and so decrepit and visibly breaking down in front of our eyes that it's ridiculous to say anything else. And of course, he got a ton of backlash. So let me play this clip for you guys. This is John Stewart from The Daily Show, which, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, it would be a good time to go and look at Rumble because YouTube's going to pull this down. Um, YouTube pulls down anything, even if even though fair usage is a thing and you're allowed to play clips from other shows, YouTube automatically just screws you, just says, you know, eat this and uh, and removes it. So go watch on Rumble uh, or if the audio podcast you'll share. But here you go. So this is Stewart on The Daily Show playing clips of the backlash he got after making fun of Joe Biden. A visibly, probably, you know, we can't see it, but I'm going to say incontinent and dodderingly dementia-riddled old man. So here's Stewart. But I don't mind because, quite frankly, the response to the first show last Monday was universally glowing. John Stewart is facing massive backlash from Democrats over his comments about Joe Biden. Oberman tweeted, well, after nine years away, there's nothing else to say to the both sides fraud John Stewart bashing Biden except please make it another nine years. Christy Jackson tweeted, sorry, but I won't be watching you either. <laughs> okay. Maybe not universal. Well, that was on Twitter. Everything on Twitter gets a backlash. I've seen Twitter tell Labradoodles to go f- themselves. There you go. I'm not going to play that. I'm not going to play much more than that, but you can see the, the unbelievable backlash. Now that wasn't even including clips from like, I think it was the view and CNN and MSNBC of people losing their fucking minds over Jon Stewart, daring to question Joe Biden's age and people saying, I'm sick of this ageist stuff. But it's, I mean, people. I mean, John Stewart had made a joke in the show that the oldest people to run, that, that Trump and Biden are the oldest people ever to run, breaking the record that they themselves set the last time they ran. Think about that. And yet you've got Democrats losing their minds. What has the right said? Nothing. The right hasn't said anything. The right isn't trying to cancel John Stewart because he dared to make fun of Trump as well, which he also did, as, as mentioned with Kurt Metzger. Um, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention Doug's the great Doug Stanhope also had a joke about SNL to say this on, on Twitter, which is pretty funny, was that he felt bad for Shane Gillis having to explain to so many people uh, what Saturday Night Live was. <laughs> I, I, before I forget that, because it makes a fantastic point. Yeah, nobody watches Saturday Night Live. It's irrelevant, which is why they had to crawl back to Shane Gillis. So anyway, you could see Jon Stewart here 
being attacked by the unfunny, can't take a joke, can't ever be criticized left. This is why they're losing. This is why they'll continue to lose. I think it's a generational thing where they're basically lost. But with the new generation coming up, I think that we've got a, a really good shot. The people coming up in 2024. So anyway, on to another topic, guys. They've waved the white flag. Let's talk about a couple other things here. Um, while we're talking about assholes and we're talking about leftist assholes, Machine Gun Kelly has changed his name from Machine Gun Kelly to Handgun Kelly because he didn't want to be a bad influence and part of the problem. Now, number one, somebody tell Machine Gun Idiot Kelly, number one, his music fucking blows. Number two, machine guns are already illegal. Machine Gun Kelly. You can't buy a machine gun. Can't buy an automatic machine gun. And you also, you could argue that all guns are machine guns because they're machines and they're parts that shoot bullets. But the fact that this fucking idiot is changing his name to from Machine Gun Kelly to Handgun Kelly is one of the most inconsequentially stupid, you know, just virtue signaling nonsense moves I've ever seen in my life. What, I mean, it's one of those things you go, is this because of what school shootings? Because those can be done with, well, number one, they aren't done with machine guns. <laughs> and, and number two, um, just as many handguns can be used. Uh, handguns are involved with more suicides. Like it's one of those virtue signals that's so stupid. If you're going to change your name, right, pointlessly, why don't you just get away from the whole gun thing in general? Hey, going from a machine gun to a handgun is like changing your name from, you know, I'm Sally three tits from total recall to Sally two tits. Cause I don't want to offend these three titted folks. Three tits is just too many tits. It's like, there's too many bullets in the gun. It's too many tits. So you call me Sally two tits. If you don't want to be known for tits, Sally, call yourself Sally. Got a big cock, right? Easier, more memorable, but I just want to call it machine Kelly for being a fucking complete loser. Uh, moving on. I'm going to save the U.S. Army's ridiculous woke advertisement for the very last part of the show here. But I do want to address this uh, this Aaron Bushnell thing that just happened. I mean, you got a U.S. Uh, Air Force member set himself on fire. I, I can't remember if it was outside of the Israeli embassy. I believe it was. But God, man. I mean, I, make it, I, I made a, a joke about it, the burning Bushnell, you know. Is this a sign? Is he a prophet, right? That things are changing, that things have to change in that region. You know, the burning bush, of course, uh, quite a large component in both Christian and Judaic mythology. But, I mean, we all obviously remember the monk on fire, and this guy clearly did as well to do this. And while it's, a, to me, a, an act of, I don't know. It's it's in a way, yeah, you're sacrificing yourself for a cause, right? The guy clearly has mental issues. Now, who knows where they stem from? I'm going to say that doing something like this is not the way to get your point across, guys. You're going to get some headlines, but it ain't going to change anything in Israel and Palestine. It's not going to change anything politically. It's not going to change uh, the IDF's campaign of, of murder. It's not going to change Hamas's campaign of, of uh, terror. It's just a, a sickening thing to watch. And hopefully, though, it does create enough of a visual memory, which is really what I think the difference between this war or this. I can't even say a war because it's not a war. It's a, it's a fucking massacre by Israel against Palestine at this point. But the difference that happened with this skirmish, this attack, this assault 
is that Israel's losing the PR battle because of the visuals here, because it's impossible for them to say, well, you know, we, we were attacked and we're this and that we're just defending ourselves. And we're just going after these terrorists, right? When you see the devastation, when you see this just city's carpet bombed, when you see the children dead, when you see the, you know, all these innocent people that have been wounded, murdered, displaced, and continuously just, just being attacked and assaulted, no ceasefire. Maybe we're going to have one. Joe Biden ate an ice cream cone and said that he thinks something might happen. But the visuals coming out can't be stopped. There's a reason Israel tried to stop the, you know, the internet from accessing Gaza and, and providing them with the capability to send photos, videos, communications out, because that's what's losing them the war. Israel could hide behind this veneer of we're just defending ourselves and the death toll and the destruction and the complete, complete uh, abandonment of trying to only target military targets. And they'll say, well, they're all clumped together. Okay, well, whatever. Um, When you carpet bomb entire city blocks, you know, fuck you. But the visuals cannot be denied. And this is one of those things where the visual of that guy on fire, right? Even though it hasn't been covered as much as you might like in mainstream media or corporate media, the visual of that man on fire will never not be associated with Israel and Palestine and the plight of the Palestinian people. And an American service member lighting himself on fire to protest it is quite powerful, as uh, disturbing as it might be. So... Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. While we're talking about U.S. and our foreign entanglements, I will say the New York Times, which hilariously, by the way, there was an article in The Atlantic talking about the New York Times and its HR welcoming committee, which uh, I think his name was like Aaron Rubenstein. I think it was that Adam Rubenstein was a writer at The New York Times. He just wrote an article for The Atlantic, which started off with his encounter being welcomed into the, you know, the staff with the HR orientation and having to pick a starburst out of a jar. Oops, sorry. Fucking whack my microphone. A starburst out of a jar, then have to tell what his favorite sandwich was as like an introductory game. So he does, and he doesn't say like some sandwich called the Heebster, right? And he's like, I didn't want to say the Heebster because it's a $19 sandwich. I was like, maybe people would have been offended by the Heebster thing more than the $19. But I mean, he's Jewish. So probably the $19 is more offensive to him than the the Heebster part. But so he goes, ah, Chick-fil-A spicy sandwich. To which the HR asshole running the show at the New York Times replies, we don't like that. We don't talk about them because they're transphobic and a bunch of other assholes snapped <laughs> snapped in response to show their appreciation for that so that's the environment at the new york times just another another institution by the way i feel is going to be waving the white flag very soon but maybe this is part of that that flag waving um but they did some reporting on the united states and what is looks to be the real reason that we've been spending a hundred million dollars or a hundred billion dollars there with 65 billion more on the table in this next omnibus bill. That's probably going to be shoved down our throats. And that's that the United States has not been simply standing by and 
supporting Ukraine and their freedom, right? And their democracy, even though there's no democracy to be found in Ukraine, uh, nor freedom to be found in Ukraine, just military conscripts, people being uh, massacred uh, for you know, being involved and supported by the United States, people being uh, denied their ability to worship, people being denied the ability to vote for any other political party, people being denied freedom of the press. But, you know, democracy, according to the United States State Department. But the real reason that we continuously fund them and are supporting this war that is completely unwinnable for Ukraine is that the United States has long now been spending money, been training Ukrainian personnel uh, to be spies for us against Russia. And we have 12 bases there, at least that we know of that have been confirmed by the New York Times, 12 bases that are along the border that are set up specifically for spying a former United States trained spy in the Ukraine is now their head of military intelligence and certainly looks like all we're trying to do with this money is maintain our spy bases, maintain the secrecy of the bases that we have there and protect our own ass. So, you know, a generation of Ukrainian men happy to sacrifice you on the altar of United States spying interests. Well done, everybody. Golf claps all around, but that's the truth of the matter. So, I mean, it, it's, it's nothing surprising, is it? I mean, we all knew that this was a proxy war against Putin by the United States. We all knew that they don't care about the Ukrainian people whatsoever. They don't care about the United States people whatsoever. Um, none of us are worried about any threats from Russia. I can tell you that. I don't think about Russia at any point in the day other than to be pissed off that we're spending money to fight them. And the fact that they're robbing the taxpayers to fund what is clearly an insularly focused operation here among the CIA, among the military intelligence cabal uh, is pretty much part for the course. Awful. But let's end on something a little bit funny, guys, as we wrap this up. I don't hear my baby crying yet, so that's good. Um, we'll wrap up on another ad that we'll see it here. I know that they're uh, the United States military, they pulled this ad down because it was so fucking stupid. They said it was because the music was going to expire on it and the license was going to expire on it. Now, as I said, if you're watching, if you just tuned in on YouTube, make sure you check out Rumble because this episode will be removed from YouTube as soon as I play this and probably because of the Daily Show clip I played as well because YouTube does not understand anything along the lines of fair usage. But let me open this up whoop, and play this ad. It's about two and a half minutes long. It is... It's what I can only be described as the most woke, you know, if an AI, if Google's Gemini AI had created a U.S. Army ad, this is what it would be. Like, it's that cringy and clearly targeted at children, right? They're trying to win them when they're young, clearly targeted at leftist woke children because it's a cartoon. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's play this thing. Let me share my screen and we're going to get right into this glorious garbage all right there we go the people are turning all the, the people the very different diverse races in this commercial are turning into cartoons in front of our faces the calling this is a story about emma this is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense System. It's even written in children's book, by the way. 
so simplistically written, as though for a child, that's not... It begins in California, with a little girl raised by two moms. Of course! (laughs) One's Rachel Maddow. I mean, this looks like a, a knockoff Disney film. Everything about it. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. Of course you did. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again. But she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet. Eventually standing at the the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class. I can't, if you're and then attended by the way, UC her, Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life. A sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. This is so long, too. I needed my own adventures. (laughs) My own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. Shatter those stereotypes that sorority chicks can't go fight and die abroad for interests that have zero concern to America. Well done, Emma. Well done. Holy crap. I mean, not only was it utter cringe, not only was it that I mean that checked all the boxes, right? It checked all the boxes. I'm a girl, but I can be more. I have lesbian parents, and one of them had an accident. I'm surprised they didn't go and, and she didn't have health insurance because of Republicans or something. I guess they can't do that in a military ad. But seriously, this ads they're gonna tell you, oh no, this isn't targeting children. This is targeting sorority white girls or sorority women in general. They want to, yeah, we want them to know that they they have more on their plate. They can be more, they can be tough, even though they're a girly girl that did ballet. Yeah, you know, for their lesbian parents, which get nothing wrong with lesbian parents, mind you, but it's just too funny. It's too perfect. But you're telling that's what they're going to tell you that that's who they're trying to recruit. No, this is made for children. Everything about the animation style, the voiceover style, the uh, the again, you know, appealing to a young girl with the imagery of the seashells and the seashore and the ballet classes and everything else. There, there's no way this is supposed to be for a college graduate there's no way it's supposed to be for a high school graduate this is for children it's to get in there it's to worm its way into the minds of these young kids and by the way appeal to their stupid leftist woke parents who have ukrainian flags in their bios right because they're like look this is we got a lot of lesbians in here guys you should show this to your kids because it's pro lgbtq uh, parenting and they're like oh, you're right hey sweetie come here i gotta show you this let me uh, push up my Mad Al glasses and cut my hair a little shorter. It's just, again, I'm not surprised by it because the army has trouble recruiting anybody with a brain. And as we've seen, you have to try to convince people young. You have to indoctrinate them from the beginning to try to convince anybody that fighting for America, that giving up a, a, a the rest of your life to go and fight and possibly die for a cause I mentioned has nothing to do with you. 
you know, uh, sending our troops in Africa, our troops in Syria, our troops around the world. They're not protecting America. They're being sent to protect the interest of the oil lobby, of the military industrial complex, of whatever financial, you know, backing has in mind, whatever, you know, Citibank and Chase that are going to be rebuilding Ukraine. That's what our servicemen that are over there flying drone missions are, uh, are actually doing. They're not protecting America. But remember, you, sorority girl slash child with your LGBTQ parents, you are the future the army needs. All right, guys, thanks for viewing. Thanks for watching. If you don't mind, if you are watching and made it through, if YouTube didn't pull this, make sure to hit the notify button, the subscribe button, because we are shadow banned to hell on there. Uh, watch us, catch us on Rumble, of course. They do not delete and edit our shows. And you can subscribe to the audio podcast if you did close to my heart. Uh, please do. Please do and give a review if you don't mind. Otherwise, guys, thank you for joining me. Oh, and listen to the first episode podcast. Doing another live show next Thursday uh, where all the podcasts are heard. All right, from me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network. And from me and Aged Adrian, always keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.